I'm Charlie Penn. And I'm Corey Murray. And you're listening to Yes, yes Girl. <laughs> <laughs> Today's guest is Angelica Ross, who we fell in love with on Pose and American Horror Story, but also because the sis just be glowing and talking about all things trans, all things activism, and we love her, but she gave us a word, 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 which we're going to get to a little bit later in the show. Charlotte Penn, girl, how'd you get through this weekend? So, Corey, I think we should just talk about the pain, mm-hmm. put it out there. It's a collective hurt and pain that we are all feeling after the, after the sudden and tragic loss of actor Chadwick Boseman, our literal hero, our Black Panther. No one knew he was sick. No one knew he we were going to lose him. And I think it was just another blow for Black people in 2020 that we just a gut punch it was i mean i know we've been through some pain we've experienced death we've been marching we've been protesting we've been really angry i didn't think there was anything that could break us and i know donald trump tries on the regular to Mm -hmm. break us in this the pandemic but that i mean reading that alert i was I, i you know, you get a lot of people start texting you and stuff. I was in disbelief, even as I had to, you know, we had to our job as, as journalists, you know, we had to write the brief, we had to write the obit. And I kept pausing because um, I just, it was, I couldn't believe I was typing. I had to type these words that Chadwick Bozeman had passed away at 43. Like he was gone. Pain. And I, yeah, we, he's, we had him on the show. This winter, he promoting um twenty one bridges. Yeah, he was such a light, such a great guy. You guys heard it for yourselves. An authentic, soulful, deep, kind, generous human being. Also, obviously, more resilient than we ever could have imagined. Corey, I cannot, I could not, from the moment I heard, stop thinking about what he must have been going through over the last four years to have to deal with that quietly and silently while also pushing for greatness every single day and not once sharing that with anyone, not once having to share that load. You know, he carried it alone. Alone. And it also, to your point, it really speaks to his resilience. And there's something that I've been thinking about and reading, you know, stories about him. And like you said, in when I think about our own personal times with him, like, you know, the day before we talked to him from the podcast, I, I shared a stage with him at his alma mater, Howard. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember that. And when I think back on it, and I mean, you know, we, we saw him, I think, I think two days later. Mm-hmm. But when I think about those times and then I think about what he went through, I makes me, and I've been saying this to people, he was so destined for this. Destined. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm a spiritual person and I really believe that, you know, in the book of life, you know, it is written that our birthday is written in our time on our day of death. Mm-hmm. And I think for God to have said, okay, he is only going to have 43 years, but here's what he's going to do in these 43 years. And it was like compact. And, you know, another thing I thought about too, when Black Panther came out, like I knew it was going to be huge. Right. Like we all knew it was going to be, I mean, black folks, we knew it was going to be huge. We were already down. But when I think about it, he had every magazine cover. Every cover. I think everything but Vogue. 
And he had, you know, oh, like, he had kids of every race, every background, every, from, uh, Wakanda forever. Every, and I'm getting chills even thinking about it. Like that movie touched so many people all you know, on the strength of him. You know how I explained it to my, uh, to my friend, um, wife, my wife, Bestie, she was like, we all loved, you know, him and Black Panther. I said, yes, but it was different for us. And she said, you know, explain. I want to understand. I said, do you know how white people feel about the royals? Like the royal family? I said, the cast of that movie was our real life Black royals. Long after the movie stopped being in theaters and stopped being on demand. That, right, Corey? Like they were our Black royalty because they brought those characters to life. And then if you really think about it, all of the actors embody that in real life too. And that's what I can't stop thinking about. He was an on-screen hero who turned out to be the biggest, greatest fighter of all time because he fought for his life for four years and pushed through and fought through all of that pain to give us all of that excellence. I was like, he fought for his life, but then he also fought for his art. The gratitude, yes. I, the That's gratitude I have for the roles that he gave us, every single one of them memorable. The the prayers I have laid down for his wife, even imagine her pain, his family. I have been on my knees for them. You know what I mean? And I think that, you know, Corey, I want to say this. It's okay for us to mourn someone collectively who we loved, you know? And I know we have to get past this because this year has been filled with pain, like you said, but I think we have to say that it's okay. And we get to say that we loved you, Chadwick, and we'll miss you. And you will forever be our king. Whew. I'm telling you. So the way the coming off of that, and then I know just to have a timestamp. So mm-hmm. we're recording this on a Tuesday, mm-hmm. uh, September 1st. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it's been Monday, August Friday. 31st. Monday Friday. Friday. Because, okay, so think about it. All right. So. We were coming off of the 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 emotional of 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 Chadwick, right, and accepting it or whatever. Then that morning, a new we, story. A new story. You know, we're at work. You know, everyone's sharing. You know how their weekend goes or whatever, or what or what news we want to cover. And then someone shares a story about, and I'm just going to talk about it. I mean, just I'm going to sum it up really quickly. So apparently, this this man and woman were engaged. They end up breaking up, but her the fiance didn't realize the reason they broke up is because he had been starting to cheat on her with the new woman, with the new woman, which was now being covered in the New York times in their vow section. And Charlie, I know you're the love guru, but I'm going to tell you something. The vow section was my sports page. I know that's right. On Sundays. I I went right. It was like Carrie Bradshaw. I went right there. That was the first thing I read. So for them to be in vows, girl, with his new wife, girl, and she did the math. The old one did the math. Okay, so there was that story, and that then, was like collectively our hearts broke for this woman. We didn't know, <laughs> didn't know. Then apparently some people tried to come for Sade. I didn't even, I didn't even go down that thread because I was like, this is stupid. I'm not gonna. This is where Twitter gets stupid. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna troll there. Then we see the photo of Nisi. Uh, let's be real, Miss Carol Denise Betts. Hello. Congrats, Nisi. Congrats, Nisi. Plot twist, like she said. Plot twist. She found her forever and her happiness, and she is glowing. glowing. That was a nice high to go with some of those lows and some of those what just happens we were feeling. 
But we were all, because we were like, and just to be clear, you know, Nisi is now, uh, has a, Nisi Nats has, has a wife. Mm-hmm. So there she is in life. And, and congratulations. She found that love. What she a way to come love. out. What a way to come out. That to, is beautiful. To come out, you know, with a new marriage, new bride, new wife, and be so happy and proud. I'm so I, happy. So for everything I hate 2024, I love 2020 for being able to be home to yes. moments like that. Yes. So then, you know, so we're di- so we're reading about that and everyone's trying to go through their feeds being like, when did this happen? You know, just trying to figure out. <laughs> I call it my Insta investigation. Insta, like, <laughs> were there clues? But anyway, again, but we're happy for Nisi. Congratulations. Absolutely. Then Michael B. Jordan, because, you know, the Black Panther cast has been and obviously and very much expected. They have been very slow to share their feelings because they lost a friend. Yeah. It wasn't just an actor. It wasn't just a co-star. They yeah. lost a friend. They lost, you're right, Charlie. They lost family. Mm-hmm. So that's really hard. So when Chadwick, I mean, excuse me, when Michael B. Jordan released that statement and let's be real, you know, we had heard rumors allegedly, you know, there was a lot of strife between them. You know, I think uh, Michael B. Jordan was very math- method in how he approached uh, playing Killmonger. He was in a bad space because he wanted to, you know, he, he wanted to be mean. He wanted to be, you know, Sort of the outcast. So I think there, you know, there were rumors, but n- nothing them substantiated, but still the tension. But for him to talk about his brother, that way. man who he has known since their days at All My Children. Yeah. He literally said Chadwick paved the way for him. That took hey. me, that took me, Corey. I and saw he said I needed more time. I wish we had more time. Three times. Ooh. What took me out was that last line when he was like, Is this your king? And he said, yes, it is. Chadwick's my king. Mm. I just, and I, I'll be honest with you, that was literally around 7.47 p.m. Yeah. yeah. That I read this. And our souls were low. And we needed some some deep sisterhood to uplift us. Deep sisterhood. And, and what came what? on at 8 o'clock? What came oh, on at 8 o'clock? I didn't, none of us thought, we knew it would be good, but we didn't mm-hmm. know how good. Versus answer the call. Answer the call. I was like, <laughs> I, was, when you talk about being on your knees, I was like, Lord, I, I, this day, I have no more emotion. <laughs> I, I, like you said, and let's let's all be honest. As excited as I was, and as much as I had my overalls and my bodysuit and everything laid out, I had not grabbed them, and I wasn't feeling it, and I almost didn't turn it on. But I am so. And then it got like there was like a ten minute delay where the chairs were just empty. Yeah, and I was like, do I need this? Do I want this? I think I do, but I'm not sure. And I'm so glad. Hey, same. I mean, I think that that Monday morning, I really wasn't going to be into it. I was like, I'm not going to vibe. I'm not going to. No. Yeah. Even when I saw that cute video that Makai Pfeiffer did. Yeah. I was like, "Mm, I'm still not feeling it. I'm still sad. But yo, thank you. I got my whole life. Thank you, Brandy. Thank you, Monica. (laughs) My heart is so full. I, I just don't even. First of all, let's just say it. I agree with Brandy. It's the tour. I didn't know I need it, but I need it. No, I need it. I need to spend three hours in an arena, you know, when outside opens again, alternating between Brandy and Monica songs, at, belting them out top of my lungs. Court, I need it. That would be epic. It would but be. Charlie, I, I owe you an apology. <clears throat> Everyone listen up. Yes, girl. Yes, girl, fam. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I came into Versus very much team Brandy. Mm-hmm. Very much because I thought the catalog, the hits, I'll be honest with you. I've never bought a Monica record. I may have had singles, 
<laughs> um, but I have Brandy albums. I mean, yeah. I have full CDs. Um, and no shade to no shade to Monica. Right. I just okay. and it was I only could hear Monica last night. Mm-hmm. I only heard Monica, like her her sound, her her crispiness of her voice. And how many uh, songs did you sing along to? I sing her? along to a lot of songs. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I accept your, you know, acknowledgement. Y'all, y'all heard our intense conversation last week about this. But I will say, I, and I do want to say this, just like we did with Usher and Chris Brown, there's no debating that Monica, I mean, uh, that Brandy's catalog is iconic and her, who she was in the 90s till now, which she was to us from the doll to the first Black Cinderella, all of it. But I just wanted you to admit that Monica earned her seat at that versus table. She earned it. That's all I She earned the cushions for that seat. She <laughs> earned a footrest. Didn't she? And I told you, you would be singing along to things you forgot you love because she dusted out some th- songs I forgot I loved. The thing about the sideline, the sideline whole song. Girl. I was, <laughs> I forgot how much I loved. I was like, what is this? What are you singing? I was like, don't worry about it. It's a woman thing. But also, too, I, I need to say this, Corey, and as a music enthusiast, right? I know you're going to feel me on this. So often when I think about the ultimate Missy collaborators, I think about Aaliyah first and then Tweet. But why don't I think about Monica? Because That's real, because they were they were thick as Steve, too. And they, they did it. Hits. Yeah. And then I need to say this. I need to say this. That Keisha Cole and Monica Trust... That I don't know that one that well. Thought, but it's, y'all. It I'm going to have to go back. Please just listen to that in some headphones and just get into the, the pain and the music. And, I mean, the sound in their vocals. They are really singing about, that song is how you feel when somebody hurts you and you need mm-hmm. some trust and you just need them to be all right. And it's a good anthem. And I hope some more people got introduced to it from hearing that versus. That's what it was. It was, it was just a sisterhood, 90s. Did you see the tweet? I mean, people were like, People were tweeting everywhere, but then did you see the number? 1.2 million. Daddy, for three hours. Three hours. Someone said this, Corey, and I really need your opinion on this as an entertainment director, because I think you said this a lot. Someone said, I'm glad that this happened and we create our own spaces. Because before this, if you had asked anyone if they thought Brandy or Monica could captivate an audience of 1.2 million and command an audience of 1.2 million, they would have, mainstream people would have told you their time has come and gone. And this proved that it doesn't come and go with us. When you're for the culture, you are forever in our hearts. And I think this goes back to, and you know, it's something that we 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 grapple with a bit, you know, as we you know plan the Essence Festival, uh, or when we do Music Mondays, and we tap into our legacy artists, and we kind of want them to sing the old songs. Let's just be real, right? Um, and a lot of times they don't want to do that because it's all about promoting their their new project, their new stuff. But Versus gives you that opportunity where. We're celebrating their catalog. We're celebrating everything. We're celebrating why we fell in love with them. And what I love about the artists that have done verses is that they embrace it, yeah. that they don't mind going back to 1995 or, or to early 2000. They're going to they're gonna tell you about the vibe, tell you about the things. And I think that's what brings us all together so much because it just makes you remember that moment you fell in love with the song. 
yeah the moment that that song was your jam I mean there was, I loved how so many people uh uh talked about like I was 12 years old hearing this or I was I was this or I was that like this this is what this song meant for me and girl broken I really you that's literally the song I would play when I thought my heart was broken and I yeah was legit 12 you know what I mean or 11 what did I know but I know that it took me right back there to love took you right back there in real time. And I also want to speak to, <clears throat> as we love to say on Yes Girl, that grown-ass woman is. We understand that Brandy and Monica aren't besties. We recognize that their, you know, feud, rift, beef, whatever we shall call it, was real, right? We can sense that they both... Oh, the energy was real. Okay. The and awkwardness. Okay. <laughs> but I appreciate that because mm-hmm. I saw two grown-ass women complimenting each other deeply and truly and wholly about the things they admire about each other. And that is grown-ass womanhood at its finest, despite everything that they may have gone through behind the scenes. They decided that sisterhood and affirming each other was all that mattered. And they pushed through all the shade. (laughs) We saw the screen grabs. And I love them for that because I didn't want them to be like, girl, we loved you forever. No, you didn't. We know. But you, did, but you did last night. No, but like, I appreciate that, right? We don't need fake and phony. You should tweet that, Charlie. Like, I know you didn't love us forever, but we, you did last night. And I that's love- all we needed, you know? And it I love is. that little clip of the end where we got to really see what happened after the verses ended. When they were just dancing and laughing and taking selfies, just like we were with our, our booze. Man, it was a night. I, I think I read... Um, Demetria Lucas, her Instagram post where she said, you know, she's going to take it for what it is. There was some awkwardness. There was bad energy at times, but I'm going to play this playlist over and over again for the next few days. Good night. It reminded me that my first AOL screen name was Sunny Day, like 919. <laughs> <laughs> my B-side Brandy Jam and my birthday. <laughs> Corey, it took me back. Yeah. Okay. All right. Angelica Ross, I wasn't able to join the conversation. So you was this when you had no power? I think you had no power. Oh, Isaiah took my power, girl. (laughs) It took my power for like a week, y'all know. But you, what were some takeaways and what were some gems? What are we going to learn from listening? I'm excited because I know she gave a good word. She gave such a good word, and you know, with all of the trans rights, LGBTQ rights really being at the forefront not right now. And Angelica Ross is one of the biggest advocates about educating, uh, empowering trans rights, uh, just getting the word out. I went into the conversation really as a sponge, like really just wanting to, op- just to learn about how I can be a better advocate. But the conversation really took a turn because you know what? It was more about how she herself, as much as she was enjoying her newfound stardom, she would take every time if it if it would presented itself to be of service to another human being. Um, she told us one story that was really beautiful, Charlie. Um, not to get too much away, but she got into a, a limo, you know, wanted to enjoy the fruits of her labor um, from a, a really award winning show. She was going to have her champagne or whatever. And the driver made some comment about like not, um, you know, not supporting her or being hesitant to support her. And she took, but Angelica took that moment as a moment of education Mm. and had a talk with her. And by the end of the ride, 
this driver was crying wow. and basically was like, I didn't know. I didn't know. Thank you for showing away. And Angelica said Ooh, a lot wow. of where her educate her, the way she educates is through her practice as a Buddhist. She's been a Buddhist for about, I believe, 10 years. And she said it really is about how can she be of service to others and how she can show her light. So it was really, really beautiful. It was really, really beautiful. Well, I'm super excited to hear it. I know you all can't wait. I'm ready to learn and love with Miss Angelica Ross. Get into this interview, guys. I am all the way live right now with Angelica Ross. Oh my God. First of all, <laughs> your skin. Can we just have a moment for your skin? It is so gorgeous. Thank you. You know, thank you. I honestly have been so busy and luckily, you know, skincare is definitely highly number one for me, but you know, sometimes when I'm just doing interview after interview. And so my best beauty secret is honestly just keeping my skin clear because that means that all I have to do is grab my little long comb powder, uh, a brush and do one quick swipe over little concealer under the eyes be ready to go some lip gloss will be ready to go i still would need a whole other kit to get that kind <laughs> of glow you have right now but i want to introduce people to who may not know who you are but i know everyone knows who you are because last year this time we wrote a story and the lead said angelica ross is booked busy and blessed <laughs> yes because a year ago, you had made history as the first trans actress to have two shows. You were in Pose and American Horror Story 1984. And now, fast forward a whole year of being this phenomenal person. You're you're outspoken advocate for trans right, and really, honestly, advocating and educating everyone about trans people. But also, you just entered a production deal with Pigeon Inc. Yes, Pigeon yes. Inc. Where when I saw that they're the company behind Own Ayala's Fix My Life, I was like, "Oh, Angela Ross is about to <laughs> get us just all the way together with our lives." Yes. Can, you, can you talk a little bit about what are some of the deal, what, some of the programming that you have in, on deck? Yeah, um, we are working on some just amazing things. I had to recently sort of decide to pull back a lot from a lot of the work that I recently did over June and July, Pride Month, you know, even back to like from really February Black History Month, Women's Month, March, you know, that every month there was something. And what I found myself doing was really being pulled everywhere um, because you know, when I tap into my little Buddha nature or whatnot, you know, I tap in and they start giving me some things to, you know, to talk to the people about. And, you know, a lot of people want, you know, had to have sort of that moment where, you know, we're able to bring that like magic, but it's exhausting. Yeah. It has, um, you know, it's been exhausting to say the least. So what I've been able to do is really take inventory of my platform, mm -hmm. especially through my new development deal with Pigeon. And instead of just like being pulled everywhere, I get to sort of streamline uh, a lot of the messages that I want to put out there through both scripted and non-scripted content. So, you know, one of the first shows, we're working on two non-scripted shows actually right now. We're casting uh, one of the shows right now um, 
in Atlanta um, is, you know, more reality based and just uh, about a lot of the stars that we don't see that are really behind all the stars, your makeup artists, your hairstylists, your, um, you know, wardrobe people and just people who are very influential in Atlanta that are really Atlanta. Um, we're going to be giving them a spotlight and platform. They're not always actors, you know, um, but these are people who deserve the spotlight and deserve for their sort of um, lives to be showcased. So we're doing things like that as well as a non-scripted show that um, right now we're calling the turning point. Am I able to say that? My team is probably going to kill me, but, uh, <laughs> but we are the, one of the first shows up is called the turning point. And basically it is um, a show where I'm really helping to guide the conversation at various turning points of our society and our culture. Um, everything from business to parenting to um, just a lot of things. We realize that now is a time that we have to change. It's a turning point in our culture. And so we need to be willing to talk about that and have some clarity around that. Speaking of turning points, because one thing I think a lot of people don't know, I didn't know you were like a whole entrepreneur, businesswoman, before you even got into acting. What was your turning point into you know, just taking a, to jumping into the world of acting. Yeah. I mean, one thing that I realized is that even though I may look young, you know, I'm entering into my sort of fourth decade here. I'm turning 40 this year. And so there, there have been many, thank you so much. And there have been many turning points that I've had, but I think, um, you know, my first book uh, and the first really most impactful turning point that I had was when I chose myself. And I think that that's a lesson to reflect to so many different people of what it means and what it looks like to choose yourself, even when sometimes in society, it seems like you're last to be chosen. When did, what was, what, can you talk a little bit about what made you choose yourself? Because it seems like the obvious thing to do, um, I think for women, especially black women but it's often the last thing that we do. Yeah, I mean, there's so many levels to, I think there's so many levels that I break down to that what it means and looks like to choose yourself because I believe that it goes in phases. Um, you know, choosing yourself is really an ongoing choice, moment to moment. There are many times that we have to remind ourselves, I have to choose myself instead of X, Y, or Z in this moment. And so one of the, I think, one of the more fundamental parts around choosing yourself is being able to understand that there's so much at work against you in the world, um, especially in a white supremacist capitalism, you know, patriarchal society. Uh, there's so much going against you. So at the very least, your first vow in choosing yourself is to be the one person, if no one else being the one person who is always in your corner, who is always for you, who is always affirming you, who does not speak negatively about you. And sometimes that's extremely hard because you have to stop the voice inside your head from speaking negatively about you. And what I see that as obviously is the first thing that you can try to address and control because it's within your own domain. So there's so many times within society that we get distracted and we focus our energy and our power outside of ourselves instead of really fine tuning into who we are, 
what our value is and what our unique powers are that sort of need to be manifested. You know, it reminds me um, when you talk about that moment where you have to kind of choose yourself all the time. I remember a a really dear friend of mine uh, was an AA and she was saying that AA, you know, they teach you, you have to, anytime a drink is put before you or that moment of of whether or not you're going to drink, it's a, it's a conversation. It's it's every conversation. And she said she applied that to dieting because she said it was a conversation she started to have anytime she got, you know, something fatty or whatever is put in front of her. And I think about that when I think of when I'm choosing myself. And it's funny, I'm glad you brought that up because it is a constant dialogue with yourself to choose yourself. And I want to go back to something else you mentioned. You said you were exhausted because even now during all this time, and I, I really look and applaud the work that you're doing and educating so many of us about trans, um, trans lives, uh, why trans lives matter, black trans lives matter, but it's got to be tiring because you're talking about it all the time. So what do you do for self-care? What do you do? How important are your girlfriends or your friends and family to kind of re- rejuvenate you, restore you? You know, definitely need a balance of both the work and play. That's pretty much what my focus is right now is as inspired as I can be, as driven as I can be, as much as of a workaholic that I can be sometimes. I have to um, I have to pull back and I have to play. So, you know, you know, some of my friends like Amaya Scott, you know, who is someone that just constantly lights a fire underneath me, um, to be a baddie. And so, um, so, you know, and, and she's behind, she was behind my whole blue hair looking for interview magazine, you know, and I'm wearing this like tight latex body thing and just all this oily skin. And she just reminds me that as much as I'm, you know, this Buddhist and this, you know, world changer and everything else, I'm equally as much a baddie. And that side of myself needs to be fed. And so it's girls it's like, like that. that. You say we are savage. We are ratchet. We are. We are. Everything. We are everything. Everything. We are everything. And I always say one mantra that I want to kind of continue to pass on to our community to understand is that there is no place where blackness does not exist. We are everything and everywhere. And so if we once we understand that and can honestly take inventory for all of the blackness in all of the corners of the world, then we could actually defeat white supremacy and all of this together. But right now, even within our our, our community, there are gradients uh, where we allow certain oppression for some of our black folks because we somehow have made it up in our moral mindset that they're either asking for it or it is par for course of the life that they've chosen. Instead of understanding, um, you know, almost even a biblical sense, some things sometimes are taken so literally. I'm a Buddhist, but one thing I do understand that I've learned from Christianity is that we all are books. There's the book of Corey. There's the book of Angelica Ross. There's the book of Janet, the book of Laverne. And there's so many books because God always says, we always learn that the story's not over until God says it is. So why do we keep trying to be the author of other people's stories and telling them what is? 
instead of watching how God works from point A to point B and giving people the grace to learn and to grow. But we have to learn how to, in our own community, um, allow for the spectrum of Blackness as well as be willing to be the, the gatekeepers and the folks who are accountable so that we don't have to go to outside uh, authorities to handle our inside, you know, issues. You know, if we don't like the way the police and a lot of folks are handling these things, then I think we need to have plans and game plans and community plans to deal with the abusers in our um, in our community, both on a physical level, emotional level and on a spiritual level. I mean, I know you're booted, but you are anointed. No, I mean, I trust and believe here's the situation it's just really what it is is that all things point to one you know india rehabs the music it all comes down to one you know and really all it is is it's it's unfortunate that someone like me grew up in a space that did not have context for me did not know how to recognize my spiritual power did not know how to recognize my beauty And it is thankful that I survived the suicide attempts. It is thankful that I survived the sort of state violence, state sanctioned violence and community of violence that sort of just allowed that I am able to blossom here and find my, to really find a way to reflect to the rest of my community that you call it anointing, we call it enlightenment, but we're all reaching towards the same thing that understands that everybody deserves happiness and everybody deserves respect and everybody deserves to be valued. So they say that the first step opens the door for many opportunities and you have had so many things going on. But when you reflect back, what would you say was the most pivotal decision you made to make these blessings manifest? I honestly, honestly believe the most pivotal moment in my life was when I found a way to let go of the judgment um, of myself um, to understand that I was doing my best as a black trans woman who, you know, was kicked out the house at some point or fired from X amount of jobs or lives in the environment that I live in that has the choices that I'm faced with. I mean, listen, I'm someone that you see me now. You see who I am now. Hopefully most of you can see me. But many people 10 years ago, even five years ago, could not see me, could not see my my value, could not see these things. And sometimes it was because I couldn't see it for myself. I had internalized the way that the world sees a Black trans woman. The moment that I sort of accepted my circumstances, and what I mean by that is accepting doesn't mean that you just agree with everything. It's just kind of like, as we say, as Michelle Obama just said the other day, it is what it is. Once I accept. (sighs) Okay. All right. This is what we're dealing with. It is what it is. Now, I don't have to be delusional with myself about the decisions I'm making going forward because I'm not lying to myself about the circumstance I'm in. I'm very clear about it, which then makes me help get to be more clear about how to get out of my situation or how to do it again with grace. Because each time I, I, I've spoken about the fact that, you know, I have a, a background in sex work. It was short lived and it was a long time ago. 
but it still was a very um, valuable time in my life because at this moment, there's being an exchange of value that I'm setting and I'm learning to set and I'm learning to raise at my own kind of pace. Luckily for me, I learned how to raise it really quickly to get paid. You know what I mean? But <laughs> but that was the first really turning point is to let go. Everybody else is judging. So why judge yourself? Like, just know that you are doing your best and that your best is going to be different from day to day. Continuing on that conversation about it is what it is, doing your best. But you had an inst- you met Laverne Cox, you know, back when this quote unquote, you are a real person you know, real life, um, not this Hollywood glamorous life where you're yes, being exactly. photographed everywhere. <laughs> but she told you that you needed to be undeniable. Yeah. Can you, t- can you, can you uh, tell us that story again? And, and what about you is undeniable? Yeah. Um, it's something that Laverne has. It's something that I have. It's something that Janet Mock has. It's something that like your Raquel Willis's and Ashley Marie Preston's and these, this sort of, um, this resilience that we have. And that resilience is part of being undeniable because the reality is again, in a world, in a job market that values certain things that I had no access to, I had to communicate to this world my value beyond what they could see. And the only way I could do that is by being undeniable, by people saying, well, that's impossible. And then me doing it and them not being able to deny that I did that. Which, what did she do? That. You're, you know? So it's one of those things where I was in a job working for a nonprofit that really didn't value me. They were tokenizing. Me. And everything that I suggested, it was a, was a, a block. I had um, just, I just had so much trouble there. And, and so one of the programs that I created was uh, to connect the homeless population and the population that was newly diagnosed with HIV. These girls that I was working with, connecting them to people like Laverne. So back in the day when we were not really doing all this, stuff, we were Skyping Laverne in. And we were talking about the fact of being undeniable, but the way she is when she goes into an audition room. The same way that I was when I showed up for that very job, what those girls weren't understanding was, is that I was driving an hour and a half to work each way while living with my parents who weren't always that, you know, supportive. So doing what I absolutely must in order to show up to my opportunities and be undeniable, you can't worry about what's happening over here, what they're doing, what the obstacle may look like, how big it is. The only thing you should be focusing on is how can you show up and doing whatever you can to make sure you show up at your best. I love that. I love that. So just just for clarity, was this when this was when Laverne was on Orange is New Black or is this before? When this moment was around the time when Laverne was, I believe she was on Orange is the New Black. It might have been a little bit before that time. Okay. I just want to have a, a time stamp. Yeah. Um, you're a dedicated, you're dedicated to staying vocal about trans rights. But do you ever have a moment where you're tired of telling people some very basic things? 
Um, and I say this to say, because when you talk about Janet Mock, I remember we interviewed her for our podcast and we were talking with her uh, as she was promoting her second book. And I made the misjudgment of asking her to sort of break down the different names like cis versus, you know, trans or, you know, whatever. And she was gracious, but she said, that was in my first book. I've done, I've talked about that already. We're going to, we're going to move on this. We're going to elevate the conversation. Right. And I'm wondering, how do you feel about that? Do you, is there going back to that exhaustion? Is it exhausting having to continually educate, um, you know, with this increasing visibility, does it disappoint you that you have to tell people those sort of the same things? It does get extremely exhausting sometimes. Um, and more so exhausting because it feels repetitive. So I feel like I'm repeating myself. And as someone who runs a company and is a boss, that is the last thing I like to do is repeat myself. As per <laughs> my last email. As per <laughs> my last email, text, uh, task that I assigned, all of that, you know. So um, so I don't usually like repeating myself. Uh, however, this is where the, my, my I have always to remind myself of my Buddhist vow. And a part of my Buddhist vow, really at the core of that, is using the technique of dialogue. And dialogue is our main avenue for change as Buddhists. And so what I know is that I'm always invited into conversations that I'm supposed to be in. And it's just, I align myself with the universe in a way that, um, you know, I, I just, it's exhausting. Sometimes I'm in first class. Lying in first class, you know, back before COVID, lying in first class, enjoying the fruits of my very hard work. That, those warm nuts and champagne? Listen, enjoying it in the limo on the way to the airport, just enjoying the fruits of the labor, labor, right? But, you know, it just might happen to be a situation where my limo driver is an older white woman. That's nice to see. Um, thank you. But... She's a Trump supporter and she's got certain tones and the things she's saying. And I got about 45 minutes to get to the airport. So do I one, roll up the partition, please? Or do I do I two welcome this moment and this conversation? conversation. By the time I got to the airport, the woman driver stepped out of the car crying gave me a hug and said, thank you. And it really was because, you know, a lot of these Trump supporters, it's hard because they don't recognize their privilege to be that ignorant. Um, just as many folks within our, um, you know, cis heteronormative community don't sometimes recognize their privilege to be that ignorant. But really, at the basis of it all, as a Buddhist, what I see is fear. I see a lot of fear of the world that they knew changing before their eyes and them feeling like they're losing context in that world. And so this woman who lost her husband, lost certain things, their business or certain things that they had in this world that white people kind of controlled and ran or whatever the case is, she was feeling very afraid. 
and lost and all kinds of things and felt like, well, I just drive this limo and I'm just doing these things and we're happy. And I said to her, you need to realize how much your life still at 60, you have so much to offer as a six-year-old woman who is a widow, who's lost her husband, who is now running her own business, driving a limousine. You could be inspiring so many other women. And it was like literally from this moment that she had this like light bulb moment and realized, because she told me, she said to me, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but I've been feeling suicidal, thinking about ending my life because I don't have my husband anymore. These are, these are the type of conversations that I roll up on when I allow for my Buddha nature to sort of do its thing in the space instead of trying to protect the privilege I've gained in this body to be able to shut it off, to close it off. So many people have that privilege. And I, as a black trans woman, sometimes, you know, need to indulge in that privilege, you know? Yeah. But at the same time, I can't get lost in the fact that that's not why I'm here to accumulate privileges. That's not a purpose-driven life, um, accumulating titles and things. I'm here to move us forward. I'm here to create more peace and healing. You know, as you're saying this, I'm thinking, I just had a thought like, and this also speaks to why you glow, why you're glowing. Why I know you said, you, you know, you keep your skin clean and, you know, but this speaks to that inner light that you have and why people are gravitating and love hearing you. And I'm so thankful that uh, you took time out of your day to speak with Essence. And I'm even taking this in personally. So thank you uh, for sharing this because I think there's something. How long have you been a Buddhist? And is your Buddhist it's, like a Tina Turner Buddhist? Absolutely. Exactly. Actually, um, I chant Nam-myoho-renge-kyo mm-hmm. and I've been chanting for my Buddhist birthday is it'll be 10 years that I've taken the practice seriously. Happy birthday. But, you know, one thing to offer to our black community, um, honestly, is we've got to start to open our minds a little bit um, and to understand sort of the roots and histories of religion and in ways religion has not served the people. And we have to get more um, vigilant around religion and spirituality serving the people. And what that looks like is empowering the people, not institutions and buildings. And so what you saw on What's Love Got to Do With It with Tina Turner is someone who was so um, uh, caught up and distracted and off purpose that they couldn't even put their lipstick on straight in the mirror. And she was losing her wits to the point that when she, it was introduced to a tool like Namioho Renge Kyo, which is really us chanting to a, um, the chanting is a, is a process of polishing a mirror so that you can see yourself and your circumstances clearly so that you can say, you know what? I don't need anything but my name. I'm that powerful. I don't need anything but my name and I'm willing to fight for my life. That is the essence that's in me is that I'm willing to fight as a black trans woman. I I don't need anything because I know how valuable I am. I will attract just on my name. Miss Ross will stand value. And, and that no wig, no fancy gowns, no pretty gowns, you know, just me and some light. And that swipe of Lancome. Yes. 
Oh my God. Thank you. Thank you, Angelica. Thank this you. is and now I'm realizing your name is ain't like Angel. Like just the full 360 of it all. Oh my God. This has been such a blessing to talk to you. And it will be seeing you on the own show. And your yeah. new own show as it uh well, we don't know if it's if it they, if they pick it up. You know, it, it, well, I, it's 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 one of these things where because you know, Pigeon and Paul Harris. Harrison at uh, Pigeon, you know, he's this Sweetie Pies. He also has done, um, you know, uh, uh, Eon the Fix My Life. So Owen is definitely excited to see what we're working on. Um, and, you know, I might, you know, I hope, I hope we get on too, but we will see. We'll see. But yeah. thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of Yes Girl, such as our conversations with Raphael Sadiq, Kelly Rowland, Regina King, and Fantasia. You can check out our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Our Heart Radio, and Google Play. And while you're there, be sure to rate us and review us. See you next week. Bye.